0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. Kat, how you doing today?
1: I'm doing great today, Dave. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited because guess what? <laughs> We're gonna be doing part two. Right. With Lisa Wingate, New York Times best-selling author.
0: Right, for over a year, and still going strong. Isn't that phenomenal? That's incredible, and we covered some of that in part one, we covered the beginnings, her inspiration for the book—we've covered a couple of her books, but we've got so much more stuff to come. She is going to get into how she got inspired by the books, her method for writing some of the books. We're going to dive into that and some of the inspiration for some of the stories, and then we're, of course we're going to get to before we were yours, her latest right. best-selling novel, uh, over a million copies sold. So I can't wait. You ready to get started?
1: Oh, I, I. I... <laughs> go. I was ready yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was the same way. It's like I can't wait to get back with Lisa. Right. Uh, yeah, so okay, so Lisa is standing by, so we're going to get started. Here we go, right? Yeah. Okay, well here
1: comes the music, so you kick it off. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us
0: as we explore the worlds of art.
1: You can also find all of our episodes on our Facebook page Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show or
0: our newest website
1: pfta
0: talkshow.org.
1: This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida.
0: Okay, we are back and we are ready to start part 2 of our interview with Lisa Wingate. Once again, New York Times best-selling author for, and we've got her here standing by on the web. So, Lisa, can you hear us? Yes. Okay. Well, Lisa, thanks uh, for coming back on the show.
2: Sure. I'm excited.
0: Well, so are we. We're just so happy to have you come back. And I understand the uh, weather is still quite stormy there, like it was uh, yesterday when we were talking to you. So we'll we'll see how this goes today.
2: We'll hope it holds out and we get decent reception.
0: There you go. So part one, we left off where we were discussing your inspiration for your novels, and, and I covered some of that basis. And unfortunately, I had to cut you off because uh, we were out of time and coffee, right? Right. (laughs) So how about we continue along that line, Lisa?
2: Okay.
0: Uh, What's some good advice for someone that wants to look at taking this idea they have, like so many of us, and wants to take those ideas and use a good structure for putting that novel together?
2: One of the most valuable things I think you can do if you want to write a book is learn three act structure. All all stories are free-act structure. It okay. um, goes all the way back to Aristotle, so it's nothing new. And it really is the way that, that your brain expects to hear a story. It's the way all your Hollywood movies are plotted. In fact, if you go and see a movie and at the end you just think, gosh, I, I don't know, I kind of didn't get... You know, what I expected or something was sort of missing or, or I got bored in the middle. It's because the three-act structure wasn't well-defined enough okay. or something missing in that story. So three-act structure can be made really complicated, but I used to teach a little class in it and you actually can go to my website in the writer's mm-hmm. tip and get the, the, um, the outline from that class, which explains Real basic three-act structure, which is really all you need to know uh, about three-act structure to write a novel. And, you know, if you sit down with that and you break down some movies, um, you know, movies are easy to do because you get a whole story in a couple hours. Right. And film, film writers really have to know their three-act structure. But you can take anything from a Disney movie to an adult, maybe whatever, and you can break it down. If it's, if it's a well-done movie, you can break it down in three-act structure. And a lot of times if it's not a well done movie or if it's a movie that just kind of fell flat for you, you can take the react structure and figure out what, what was missing in the way the story was set up. I'll never watch a movie the same again. <laughs> <laughs> It'll make a lousy movie date. Sorry. <laughs> a lousy movie date. <laughs> That's very helpful
1: though. That yeah, it,
2: it's, it's tremendously helpful. It's valuable as a writer or someone who wants to write, you know, to have... Roadmap of it in your head—it's sort of the bones to hang the flesh of a story on. Okay.
0: Okay, so Lisa, go ahead and just break down what the three acts of the three-act structure is.
2: Some of the things that you you know intuitively a story is going to have or should have. Um, it's going to have the big bang at the at the beginning, the inciting incident, the the thing where your character—and in a movie, it's very short. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, you get maybe you even just pan into the neighborhood and you see the dad out there playing with his kids or, you know, you get just a very quick idea of what normal life is like. Then something's going to happen that completely upends normal life. You know, there's a drive-by shooting two seconds later or whatever, and that kicks off the story. You know, that just upends the apple cart and the character's life as it was scattered everywhere it can't there's no way to get it all back in the apple basket the way it was and so that sends the character off on a quest and that's from every movie you've watched and every book you've read that they're you know toward the end there's going to be this point where it, it's just the blackest of black moments you know the the girl is tied to the railroad tracks and the, the villain has the hero <laughs> dangling over a cliff and You know, and the the sword or the gun has dropped down the cliff and it just looks impossible. And then, you know, something heroic is going to happen and the hero is going to come back and triumph. So, I mean, you know Mm -hmm. things are going to happen. You're looking for those things. And, you know, that's what the React structure is. It's those things that, that when you read it and you watch a movie in those terms, you'll be like, well, yeah, I I knew all stories were set up this way.
0: And you're right. I mean, I think we've all seen that. You know, I, I, a whole world of images and, and stories just you know came to mind when you were saying that. But uh, you know, I just, you just got so, such good stories and information. Who wants to interrupt you? So
1: informative. And, and as you're talking, and I'm just drawing parallels. Uh, as a painter, mm. you know, there's so many things in common. Right. It's, just, it's really, uh, and even if you wanted to be a narrative painter, how to look around the composition to have that three-point structure. There you go. So, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, it's almost it's like a, the hero's journey structure. It is. You know, it's,
2: there there are lots of different books and ways people break down story structure, but. Story structure is story structure.
1: There you go. Yeah. There you yeah. go. And and just being aware of that before the outset. So if you, you know, something inspires you and then you kind of look at the story, I could see how that would give you actually kind of more freedom to work within it without getting lost. Oh,
2: right. Yeah, right. And looking at, um, you know, looking at books and movies and thinking, okay, well, how did this person transition at the at the mid-act of the story so that, you know, so that the middle doesn't just get very samey, um, you know, and what was the black moment and how was the black moment overcome in this story, you know, just looking at uh, how it's done in different stories and movies, it helps you tremendously because you have this little toolkit. Right, to...
0: <laughs> right, yeah, again, that's just a great way to break everything down that you look at, and Lisa, I gotta say that I think that's a great staple for someone that's got that idea rolling around in their head, but mm-hmm. not sure how to structure it and put it together. I think that's a great place to start.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. There are some books on structure, you know, and many, many of which are great to study. And there's kind of no substitute for sitting down with some stories and just out, you know, sketching out how they're done, the pulling apart the anatomy.
0: Right. Okay. Well, you know, I can relate to that. As you know, and the the listeners, know, I am working on a graphic novel myself. and oh, right? yeah. When you just said that sketching out, that's exactly what I do. I do thumbnails for the for the layout of the pages as as I draw them <laughs> out along the lines of of the story and the book and everything else. So, again, so relative to to so many things that aren't.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Plus, it's going to be a blast to just sit there and watch movies so differently now and <laughs> pick them apart.
0: <laughs> and when you stand up in the theater and go, I got it. That was the first act. You know you got you know who's gonna get blamed, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back.
1: Hi, I'm Barb, and I'm Linda, and I'm Debbie, I'm Ellen, and we We are here and now quartet, quartet, and we listen listen to Partnership for the arts. Arts talk Talk show show. don't worry what tomorrow morning's papers say throw your cares
0: away well that'll just keep you in a great mood won't you love it (laughs) great and of course that was the here and now all ladies barber quartet out of fort myers just a wonderful group of ladies an incredible organization uh you met them on our christmas special we did and just want to thank them for that. So, Lisa, before the break, we were talking again about things that you can do to help get your, your novel together, <laughs> get your act together. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, of course, were mentioning the uh, three-act structure. So you got anything else you want to share there with us, Lisa?
2: Thing to do in a group. I used to um, teach this, the, that class online sometimes, in and- so everyone would pick out a different movie and we you know we would go block by block through it each week. And that was really cool because you got to see, you know, numerous movies broken down to different stories and you know that's even better because you're comparing a lot of different stories at once and you're seeing how the structure is similar, you know, whether it's a novel about aliens invading Or a novel about a divorced couple fighting it out in court over the kids, you know?
0: There you go. So, Kat, you got your acts together? You ready to start your book now?
1: I think I'm ready. (laughs) Get started with now.
0: There you go, Lisa, another author in the making. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Okay. So how about we move on here? And of course, want to get to your latest novel, Lisa, Before We Were Yours. And a couple of things I think that we wanted to to look at covering on that book.
1: Yeah, if you can just share what actually sparked that.
2: Yeah, um, like I said, I never know what's going to spark a story, but that particular one, Before We Were Yours, I was literally on deadline with The Story Keeper, the book about the Mm Melungeons, and I I knew I was pretty much going to pull an all-nighter to get done by deadline, and so I had left the TV um, turned on, and just turned the sound down, but left the TV playing. So about two in the morning, Discovery Channel's Deadly Women cycled through, and it was an episode called Above the Law portion of that segment of that episode was about women who had committed these heinous crimes and couldn't be prosecuted for whatever reason. That particular segment was about Georgia Tan. And yeah. when I looked up, they were showing this, this big white mansion house with these white pillars and the front room was full of babies in bassinets. And I thought, what? what? What's that about? <laughs> was in the 40s, you know, and so of course I turned the sound on and um, and I listened and I was, you know, I was fascinated. I was horrified. I thought, has this been made more salacious for TV? How could this happen? Mm-hmm. You know, how how can how can a woman just go around taking people's kids and babies and and selling them into adoptions and it happens for decades and no one does anything about it and no one stops it and hundreds of kids die in her care and she's got them housed all over Memphis in these unsupervised unregulated boarding houses and you know and kids are abused and how does this happen on such a broad scale in you know not that long ago it ended in 1950 nobody does anything about it and so I just had questions and the more I dug into it the more I wanted to tell the stories of these kids who went through this system and were, you know, often just taken off the front porches or out of the yards or on their walking home from school, you know, and away from their birth families and taken into Georgia Tans limousine and the next thing they know they're in one of these boarding homes for orphans and, you know, they don't know why they're there, they don't know where their parents are, they don't know what this place is or what's happening. You know, what was that like for these kids and what happened to them after? mm-hmm
0: yeah yeah uh, kidnapped
2: right right yeah. right it Yeah. early um uh, you know while while a lot of the kids were orphans who were given up by um people who couldn't raise them mm-hmm. um didn't want to or whatever um many of them were kids who were just stolen to fill adoption orders you know they um to fill the needs or wants of a- adoption clients who had money to pay
0: and I'm just amazed how big of an operation that actually was, and for how long?
2: Yes, yeah, longer it went on, the more of a system Georgia Tan had around Memphis and around the state of Tennessee. At that time, Boss Crump has Memphis, and Boss mm-hmm. Crump has the state of Tennessee, and Georgia Tan comes out of another state after getting run out for questionable practices there, and comes into Memphis, and she gets in with Boss Crump, and. It gives her everything she needs. It gives her the police force, the the welfare services, the ability to go into any hospital and just take children out of the maternity ward against the doctor's orders. You know, it gives her everything that she needs to perpetrate this crime for um, decades and make lots of money doing it.
1: Right, right. And the atrocity of it and and you yourself being a mother, I'm sure you probably were almost stepping into the shoes like almost like I can't imagine my children being stolen from me. You know, do you think that was a big influence in you really
2: wanting oh. to get to the source of this? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, as I'm reading and studying the true histories of the kids mm-hmm. who went through this, you know, thinking about my own little guys at 2 and 4 and 6 and 8 and right. 10. like real in the novel you know the oldest oldest one of these siblings who tells the story you know I'm thinking about how innocent my kids were and how little they knew about the world and you know what if this had happened to them at that age and then myself as a parent literally what if you turned around one day and your kids were gone and you didn't know where to find them or maybe even what had happened to them and you maybe never Ever answered those questions in your lifetime you never saw them again you know what what was that like for the people whose lives were changed by this woman Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah and and I guess consequently isn't it true from this book it actually brought some families together after many decades
2: yeah it uh it's it's been an interesting thing because when I wrote the book I was only able to talk to a couple people who were adoptees and they would talk to me and they were both babies so they didn't have memories of the orphanage although one of them had learned more about it from an older birth sibling that she had found later in life and reconnected with who had some memories of the experience but neither one of those people the only way they would talk to me was on the conditions of, I guess, anonymity, you'd call it. You know, they didn't want to be outed Come from children, Tennessee Children's Home Society. So the book came out, and it was out a little while, and I started to hear from survivors, from um, adoptees, from the next generation, from the next next generation whose grandparents were adoptees, and also from birth families, some of whom had reconnected and some of whom were still searching for family members and one thing and and I started hearing from various ones who had um, had been asked to go talk at book clubs about their experience of their reconnecting often with their birth families you know their battle to get their records and find out who they were and all that all that they had been through and I also started hearing from people who were asking me would you ever help facilitate some kind of a reunion where we could get together and share Mm -hmm. um, share what we know share what we've experienced bring our scrapbooks and and that sort of thing so we did that last June um, a year after the novel came out I had it
0: wow
2: that's incredible Memphis at um, Elmwood Cemetery, which is the historic cemetery there, and in that cemetery is the official Tennessee Children's Home Society plot, um, mm. where the 19 that were ever admitted to of the hundreds of children who died are buried in that plot and and sat unmarked for all these years, and only recently um, a cemetery volunteer realized what that plot was and they they got the money together to put a marker for the children Mm. it seemed like a perfect time to do this reunion so we did we um last summer we got together a group of the um, adoptees and and some and it ran the gamut you know some of them had um been down the process of, of finding their paperwork and finding siblings and family members years ago um some of them were just starting on that journey. Some of them had only started to wonder and had written in for their paperwork after they read the book and found out they were Tennessee Children's Home Society adoptees and you know, some of them were there and part of their journey to Memphis was gonna be to meet um, some biological family for the first time. So it, it, it ran the gamut and we had people on the other side of the coin too who were biological family, still looking for children who just
1: mm-hmm. profound
2: okay. wow wow yeah. Moment
1: in time and just, just it's almost like this had to fall into place right you know? right
0: uh, the story had been setting mm-hmm. there never really brought to light recently right in recent history and and Lisa here you get inspired to write the book to tell the story to to bring it back to light and look what came out of it uh, actually I would say some healing process has started mm-hmm. from this book
2: yeah, one thing it did, and the book having spread so kind of far and wide the way it has, is it took something that was almost kind of a, I don't know, like a, a dirty little secret in families or something you didn't talk about. Right. And it made it something people can talk about. It made it a part of their experience can be validated now and, uh, you know, that isn't anything to be ashamed of you know it's just it's their reality it's their history and -hmm. brought it out into the open
0: right and and often is the case is something like that happens through through time or history victims of it some will just say bury it and forget it you know let it let it go and 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 that doesn't really help anyone or anything because history tends to repeat itself if you're not aware of it
2: exactly yes exactly true i mean we we need to understand this history so that we don't repeat it. You know, it's these kids. One thing I realized after the fact from talking more to the survivors is how much the experience that this didn't just stop with the generation that was affected. Mm-hmm. The effects of this, the kids and the grandkids of these people will tell you this experience informed and directed every decision my mother made every decision my father made every decision my grandmother or grandfather made in life mm-hmm. uh, was affected by that and because of that our lives were affected right. you know so it's not a one generation thing the damage you do to one generation of children you do to the generation that comes after and after and generations that haven't even been born yet it's it, it's a long lasting effect
1: it really is. And I'm curious, too, with what happened in Memphis, uh, did it kind of actually filter outside of Memphis? I know that you had one of those orphan trains that would take... I know from New York to the Midwest, they, they had uh, trains that would take orphans and just drop them off, stop at towns, and people would adopt them. And that's what happened actually to my grandfather. Oh, my gosh. So it's interesting because we're not sure where he really came from, but he could never... Later on, he can never travel outside the United States because he didn't have a birth certificate. So it even makes me wonder now, learning about this, like, I wonder if there's a connection for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, going back to that. And it is, it kind of, there's certain ways, I guess, or habits, or maybe this sense of abandonment that kind of, you know, runs through the family, so I I wonder if that's the source of it, but it's just, it's going to be interesting research on my part. (laughs) There you go.
0: Yes, of course. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we will be back in just a minute.
1: Hey, this is Skip Dearda. I'm a muralist, graphic designer, photographer, and I listen to the Partnership for the Arts Talk Show.
0: Okay, we are back, and uh, Lisa, thank you for holding on there, and we want to make sure we do thank Muris Skip Deidre for that uh, spot, and he is now actually working on the Harbor Walk mural uh, that is going along the walkway there under 41 South here in Punta Gorda, so make sure you stop by and see him and say hello. I think I've still got to take him a sandwich. (laughs) So, we were talking before the break about the children uh, that had been uh, kidnapped and disappeared, the effect on generations. And Kat, it looks like you've got some uh, research to do there, too, with what you were just explaining. Yeah. So, Lisa, with that being said, what kind of effect have you seen with these people, Lisa, that that you've gotten together with?
2: Became a big part of who these people grew up to be. Um, mm-hmm. Many of them went on and made very successful lives. And but they, one of the things they noticed as as I started bringing together a core group of them so that they could make the plans they wanted to for this reunion, you know, is is that they had a lot of similarities in personality traits. And those similarities because of the experience they had been through and you know what that created in in them as they began to form you know as young children who they were going to be um and they are the people they're from everywhere the one of the about georgia tan is she specialized in out-of-state adoptions because she could make a lot more money that way Mm -hmm. and the, the hollywood celebrities you know joan Crawford, june allison dick powell smiley Burnett. um Politicians, uh, Herbert Lehman, Governor of New York, you know Lehman Brothers. um, These kids were filtered all over the country, put on trains and on airplanes, and sent everywhere. So they they're scattered everywhere.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned the train.
2: Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. Yeah, Lisa, let me ask you. Now I know you mentioned the the reunions, and you've been there with them with the reunion correct right yeah so how was that for you
2: it was it was a, an absolutely um wonderful experience it, you know i mean it's a, a lot of the stories are sad either there are still um you know like i said there are still people there are people who are still searching um mm-hmm. we had a, a man um who was there 71 years old and um, still with tears in his eyes over a brother who was taken, um, wow. you know, that they never found. And he said, you know, I promised my mom I would never stop looking, but I've kind of dropped the ball, you know, but I dropped the ball after she died. And, uh, you know, and now I've read this book, I'm, I'm going to keep looking, you know, and I can find wow. out, um, you know, so I mean you realize how much pain is still there and, that's mm-hmm. a hard thing to witness, but at the same time, in some way, not being the only one to have experienced it, to be able to talk with other people, to right. for the one who been through that journey, to be able to help point other people to resources that might help someone else in their search, uh, it was very healing. I mean, it's a strange kind of club to be part of, but um, but there's still comfort in that brotherhood and sisterhood of these people who came through this experience. Right, mm-hmm.
0: right. Yeah, yeah. So, Lisa, when you are traveling, you're doing your book tour now, what's been the reactions when you go and you and you speak about this book for people that didn't know the history of it? People, you
2: know, they all a lot of the same questions I had. People want to know how it was possible People want to know how it finally ended. People want to know what happened, you know, what became of all these kids. Mm -hmm. People want to know why nobody stopped it. You know, they have really the same questions I've had because your logic says to you, this was not that long ago. How could people, you know, people knew what was going on. How could they not do anything about it? these kids were advertised in the newspaper as perfect Christmas presents and, and yours for the asking. Didn't that bother people? You know? So, I mean, people have the wow. same I've had because you look at anything, 1950, that's, that's modern times, you know? and Right. Uh, then it's not like we're talking about the 1800s here or something. And so, um, so the, those are the reactions. I mean, people are understandably horrified by uh, what went on and, and they want to understand
0: it. So, Lisa, let's move on. We are running out of time here. Again, we mentioned uh, you've been doing your book tour for this, and uh, you're home now. Home being Texas.
2: I'm, I'm home now. Um, I toured for a couple months when the book first came out, which is a year ago. Yeah,
0: 2018.
2: Mm-hmm. And since then, I, you know, I'm on and off the road. I've I've gone been gone speaking a lot. Um, the book has has really spread far and wide and um, is is about a million and a half copies sold at this point and made it onto the the New York Times list really just because people read it. I mean, it wasn't because Oprah called or anything like that. <laughs> it, was just, you know, it was just folks. I mean, it was just people who read it and told someone about it or told their book club and so it, it you know it, it didn't make it onto the times list when it first came out it made it a couple months later just you know just word of mouth and which was the coolest way to make the new york times list exactly um, and it has stayed there ever since so it's been a very busy year with a lot of travel to you know, out talking about the story um doing a lot of um, just all different kinds of groups and charity fundraisers and things like that and so it, it's been really kind of this amazing year of of following this book around the country. I think you got it days and then Florida a couple times in the early winter. Say no to Florida in the early winter. I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And and we're going to cover that in a minute. But at least I I wanted to ask did you have any indication that when you wrote this book it was different for you? Did you have any any sense aching that that this was going to be received the way it has been?
2: Yes and no. Um, you know, I, I mean, I knew, I knew it was a story. I was very fascinated with the, the history, but you know, I've, I've, I've done other books about things that I thought were equally fascinating. When you've been in the publishing business this long, you sort of learn there's no, there's no predicting it. There's no, <laughs> it, 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 you know, everything has to align just right for a book to really kind of go viral and you know the cover's got to be right the timing's got to be right the story's got to be right nothing similar can come out around the same time you know it just everything has to just line up and you sort of eventually learn release these things into the world and you that's about all the control you have over what's going to happen to them (laughs) and um so this book i mean none of us none of us Anticipated that it was it was going to do what it's done. I mean, we all thought it had the recipe for a successful book, but um, we all just kind of pinch ourselves every when the, when the bestseller lists come out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, with the publisher and and you get the numbers and the returns on on the sales. When did it start actually coming surreal for you that when you started seeing the numbers and the sales going on?
2: months into the into being on the the times list and when we first with the first week it came out we landed just off the list
1: mm-hmm.
2: um okay. it's 15 books long we were probably book number 18 or something it's not like horseshoes you don't get points for being close <laughs> <laughs> and you know and so um when we got on we You know, because we'd sort of been hoping for that, but it doesn't usually happen that way. I mean, usually your first couple weeks—you don't make it the first couple weeks. You're usually not going to make it. Okay. And so it was a little bit surreal when we got on, but we had been teetering right there for several weeks, kind of hoping. But when it stayed on for a long time, then then that got to be really surreal because that was way over and above what we thought would happen or what we dared what happened for the book and so um, you know from there from there till uh, 54 weeks I think mm-hmm. uh, you know from from uh, about two months on the list to 54 weeks every week is surreal <laughs> <laughs>
0: were you were where were you when you found out that it actually made the list were you home
2: I was back home by then. I was back home. Uh, we were living in Arkansas. We've since moved back to Texas, but we were in Arkansas in the mountains. And so it was a perfectly ordinary day. Um, and it, I really had, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, till five o'clock in the evening, five o'clock Wednesday when the publishers get the list. So yeah, I, you know, I had, pre- I had pretty much given up on it after July 4th weekend. It was about the third week in July when we finally hit. And, um, you know, July 4th weekend, we thought maybe, because nobody's, you know, John Grisham and Nora Roberts and people aren't going to put a book out over July 4th weekend. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. You know, so we thought maybe the list would be soft and we would get on then, and it didn't happen. And so at that point, I really had just kind of thought, well, you know, the book's done great, but if that's, it, it's not gonna, that's not going to happen. And with a hardcover, the nice thing is you still have paperback, you know, so you have a whole another chance at it in the future and uh so when it did hit it was a complete surprise complete i just was was a normal work day um working on the next book you know and (laughs) my agent called and told me and so you know it was it was just it was a, a a crazy moment
0: so when you picked up the phone was the agent screaming as well.
2: <laughs> Every everyone was screaming. Um, they they called me from the publishing house and they said, we're all running through the hall screaming, you know." And so it was. We were just all just ecstatic. I mean, we were so thrilled that after all this weeks of um, kind of trekking along and the book steaming along, it it just was this little sleeper.
0: Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yes. I don't think we've said that yet. Yes. So congratulations. And uh, I got to say that uh, I, I've had a chance to get the book, delve into it. And the uh, the characterization and the viewpoints of the book are, how do you put it? Uh, you, you get enthralled in it. I mean, I I read it way into in early morning <laughs> before <laughs> I had to put it down because I actually had to get up and go to work.
2: <laughs> uh, that's the best. Compliment when right. someone stays
0: late with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was not only late; it was early morning. <laughs> <laughs>
2: late, I, early.
0: Yeah. I think. Uh, I think. Uh, I, I. I knew I had been up a while when Mary came in to make coffee in the morning, <laughs> 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 and I was still in the studio reading. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, so, Lisa, back to your traveling. Uh, I just wanted to kind of hit on some things here. 2019. Right. And uh, in, the, in January, actually, mm-hmm. you're going to be uh, just down right. the road from us, so to speak, in Fort Myers. Right. Back to South Carolina, then back down to St. Augustine, Gainesville, and uh, Boca Raton, mm-hmm. Florida. Right. Yeah. And then looks like from what I saw on the record, there's a little break in there, and then you start all over kind of in September.
2: Right. right. That's pretty much it. Yeah.
0: Pretty much it. Yeah,
2: yeah. We we sort of shut down booking any more travel through that period because I do have I do need to write something too.
0: <laughs> Writing a book on a book tour. That,
1: I was just thinking that you
2: pulled it yeah. off raising kids. <laughs> yeah, I don't write while well on the road, so I pretty much have to yeah. have some time at home to write.
0: Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And I assume that we'll be able to kind of keep up on those travels through the uh, Huckleberry report, right?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Huckleberry <laughs> always reports in on the Facebook page.
0: Okay. <laughs> oh, they always watchful eye of, of Huckleberry there. And uh, for those that, that haven't maybe had a chance to check it, Huckleberry is one of your four-legged kids.
2: The yeah, four-legged that's my replacement child. Uh- <laughs> My little literary dog.
0: hmm And that's uh, often updates on Facebook.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, kind of speaking of other media's there, Lisa, you want to give us some uh, contact information where you're at?
2: Yeah. And probably the easiest place to find me and find all the social media links is um, at lisa.wingate.com. Mm-hmm. Um, all the links are on there. So you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that good stuff. And- and all the uh, speaking appearances are listed. And so that's kind of the clearinghouse for information.
0: There you go. Great. There you great. go. Yeah, and we're going to look at wrapping up here. Mm-hmm. Lisa, I appreciate all the time, uh, extended time for us to uh, talk with us from home because we know you do have books to write. Exactly. <laughs> what
2: a great this has been.
0: Yeah, and it's good to catch up with you again Lisa and it's gonna be just absolutely wonderful to actually catch up person to person after all this time
2: yeah I'm looking forward to that a lot
0: yeah when, when you get here in Florida so we look forward to doing that and just before we sign off Lisa anything else you'd like to add think of
2: um, other than just you know thanks if, if you're listening to this and you're one of those people who um, who read the book, who put it in someone's hands, who you know told somebody about it in an airport bookstore or wherever, thanks, because this, this is really the word of mouth. Of, it still matters that we talk about the things that matter to us and the right. things that affect us.
0: There you go, well said. Well, I don't think we can do any better than that. I don't. <laughs> okay, so Lisa, again, thank you for the time for coming on the show. And Kat, with that, I guess we're gonna say Have a good day, and we will catch back up for the next show.
1: And I just want to say thank you so much, Lisa. It's been such a pleasure talking with you, and I can't wait to catch up on more.
0: There you go.
2: Definitely chatting with you.
0: Great, Lisa. Okay, everyone, well, thank you for listening to Partnership for the Arts talk show, where we talk art, and we will talk to you soon. Thank Thank you. you. This is Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. Thanks for joining us
1: as we explore the worlds of art.
0: You can find this and other episodes on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show, or our newest website, pftatalkshow.org.
1: This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida.